This is Archive Atlanta, episode 55, Reconstruction. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey guys, happy Friday. Chronicles in my personal life if you're at all interested, but I have sold my condo, I have gotten engaged, I'm going to be getting married in January, and we're buying a house. And the thing is that none of these are timed exactly right the way I need them to be, so we I have sold my condo, um, but the house is not ready yet. So there are two real adults, two almost adults, and a small child living in a house that is too small for all of us. And so I'm recording this episode in my car which is a first. So it's not the spaceship tent. It's not a closet. Um, it's not my parents' garage. Uh, it is my car in the driveway. But I, I've got to say, this is probably the most spacious spot that I've ever tried. Um, and so I appreciate you guys listening and kind of coming along with my adventures. This week, we're talking about a period in Atlanta and Georgia's history called Reconstruction. To put it simply, the period after the Civil War, our then-divided country essentially has to figure out how to make themselves whole again. I'm going to be honest, I have said the word reconstruction at least 12 times across all of my episodes, and yes, I actually did a search in my notes, but I didn't really know the details. So what began as a research idea for a mini-episode about the 33 expelled black legislators, which we will get to later, is now a full episode about reconstruction. There's a lot to talk about, there's a lot that happened, Of course, we're going to be talking about the state of Georgia, but you will see how Atlanta has many connections to this post-war story. I do want to say that this history is detailed and complicated, all while occurring in a really tight timeline. Even though I read a few papers and lots of encyclopedia notes, I'm not perfect. Um, If I missed a date or I said something incorrectly, definitely let me know. The good news is there are lots of books and even a podcast um, or podcast episodes dedicated solely to this topic. So I'm going to do my best to put a little comprehensive list in the show notes if you want to know more about this. First, let's start with the basics. The Civil War officially ends on April 9th, 1865. Abraham Lincoln was assassinated on April 14th, 1865. President Andrew Johnson assumes the role of the presidency, and he's not in the same political party as Lincoln. Johnson was a Democrat, and then public service announcement here, but this is not the Democrat and Republican parties that we have today, so you kind of have to flip them just to make it easier to understand. He favored a quick restoration of the Union. Remember, the southern states had seceded. They were not part of America. So it's a really complex situation, but Johnson's method is to allow the former Confederacy to basically figure it out for themselves. This is called presidential reconstruction. In Georgia, the president appoints temporary governor James Johnson. And the first thing he has to do is call a constitutional convention for October of 1865 in Milledgeville, which was then the state capital. So they get together, they make a few changes to the 1861 Constitution, which is basically when they seceded from the Union. Um, They mainly abolished slavery and they uh, repudiated the debt that they owed. At the same time this is going on, the United States Congress passes the first of what we now call the Reconstruction Amendments. Number 13 was proposed in 1864, ratified in 1865, and abolished slavery and involuntary servitude, except for those convicted of a crime. Now, they hadn't amended the Constitution since 1804, which was 60 years before, so this is a really big deal. 
Georgia holds new elections. They elect a new governor, new congressman, and a state legislator. Um, And then in December, the Georgia General Assembly ratifies the new 13th Amendment and technically satisfies all the requirements to be allowed back into the Union. I'm going to glance over this next part just for the sake of time, but Republican leaders in Washington are not exactly thrilled with the president's reconstruction efforts. He's done little to really ensure that the newly freed African Americans are guaranteed the rights afforded to them, and they were still not allowed to even serve on juries in Georgia. Most of the former Confederate states are creating strict black codes at this time, which is pretty much trying to locally limit the rights that are being passed down from a federal level. Another Reconstruction Amendment is proposed in 1866, and it is ratified in 1868. The 14th Amendment addressed citizenship rights and equal protection under the laws for all persons. In 1866, a Georgia legislator meets and rejects the 14th Amendment. Just literally says no. Their reasoning is like, hey, we weren't even a state when this was passed, so we had no role in passing this. And then that toggled between the defense of, hey, even though if we were a state, no one presented this in the right way, so it's invalid. And then they adjourn the session and they just don't reconvene, which was a great plan. In cases like this, it made Reconstruction Acts necessary. And then we enter into a period called Congressional Reconstruction. It is in this period that African-American men are able to participate in state and local politics. There were four statutes created by Congress that address what Southern states had to do in order to be let back in the Union. The thing is, they kind of weren't doing it themselves the way they were supposed to. So this plan creates five military districts in the South, each commanded by a general, and each district would act as the government of that region. Each state was required to draft a new constitution, which had to be approved by Congress, and it was required to ratify the 14th Amendment, which would allow black men to vote. So the third of these acts passes in July of 1867, and what this did was create the third military district, which comprised of Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, and it was presided over by General John Pope. Although the capital of Georgia was still military at this time, Pope ordered the headquarters set up in Atlanta. Milledgeville wasn't exactly on board with Reconstruction, Um, and then there was a lot more hostilities to deal with there than there was in Atlanta. Pope did as Congress required him to do, which was he tallied Georgia's registered voters for the first time ever adding white and black together. There were 95,214 white voters and 93,457 black. He also ensured that African-American men served on juries. Uh, He also sort of suspended the mayoral elections in the city, and he just kept Mayor James Williams in office for an extra year. He also banned any ads or articles that spoke against Reconstruction. It was very much a military takeover, um, and it's being run out of Atlanta. A new Georgia constitution is approved. 88,172 yeses to 70,200 noes. The General Assembly elections gained 84 Republicans, 29 of them were black, and fell three seats short of a majority. The Georgia State Senate Republicans elect three black men, and they take control with 27 seats versus 17 seats for Democrats. This new state constitution um, ensured voting rights for black men. They establish a free public school system. They do debt relief. Uh, They allow wives to control property. Uh, It changes the governor term from four years. And it officially moves the capital of the state of Georgia from Milledgeville to Atlanta. What they did not vote on, they actually voted down for some bizarre reason. 
was a section that explicitly states that all qualified electors were eligible to hold office. So remember that one. A new constitutional convention was set to be held at City Hall in Atlanta. Radical Republican George Ashburn called the convention to order, while 85 miles away in Macon, a counter-protest convention was being held that decried black participation in government. Let me define a radical Republican for you. They were a faction of the Republican Party from about 1854 through the end of Reconstruction, and they were staunchly anti-slavery. Their ideas were really considered radical, um, as they thought that Lincoln's plans for Reconstruction were just too lenient. Ashburn himself was a white man, but he authored all the provisions presented that would ensure the right for African Americans to vote. He had moved to Georgia in 1830 and opposed secession from the beginning, and he was what his fellow Southerners called a scalawag. Scalawags were Southern-born white Republicans or any white Republicans who had lived in the South before the war. Now, carpetbaggers were Northerners who came to the South after the war to seek their fortunes. There was a rule in place that if you lived in a Southern state for one year, you got voting and office-holding rights. So, I guess what they called themselves real Southerners didn't like the carpetbaggers and they didn't like the scalawags. On the evening of March 1868, Ashburn was in Columbus, Georgia, and he had just left a meeting on Black voting rights, um, and the speaker there was Henry McNeil Turner. But after midnight, he was murdered by a group of five masked Ku Klux Klan members. George Ashburn became the Klan's first murder victim in the state of Georgia. Let's talk about the original 33, which are the first 33 black members of the Georgia General Assembly. 24 of them were ministers, which is not surprising, because I have mentioned before in previous episodes, in a community where there's no way for someone to be elected to public office, ministers and preachers were doing this work without the title. They were leading the community, they were fighting to make it better, so it's almost natural that when they're finally presented the chance, they would hold office. Two of the men I want to highlight today are Tunis Campbell and Henry McNeil Turner, who I just mentioned. Campbell was from New Jersey. He was a minister in the AME Zion Church. He had come south after being appointed an agent in the Freedmen's Bureau, and he was elected to represent Darien, Georgia, which was McIntosh County, I think. Turner was also northern. Um, I think he had lived in D.C. right before coming south, and he was a minister in the AME Church, and he represented Macon, Georgia. This wave of black representation was a little too good to be true. And it's not like all white Republicans that shared the party with them were on board. Just like I said, the radicals are really the only ones that wanted this to happen. So I just gave you the stats. The legislature is dominated by the Republicans, the party of Lincoln. But regardless, in 1868, they moved to expel these black legislators. Led by Joseph E. Brown, who was the governor during the Civil War, and he argued that the Constitution didn't explicitly allow blacks to hold office. In a publicized speech in Marietta, he said it was, quote, the birthright and inheritance of every white man, not the Negro, end quote. Essentially, the moderate Republicans would join with the Democrats, and the radical Republicans would lose power. The first order of business was to rid the legislature of 28 of these black men in September of 1868. Now, they did fight back uh, the following year, and then the Supreme Court of the state actually ruled two to one that they did have a legal right to hold office. During this time, the federal government returns Atlanta to military rule. I mean, it's kind of a little bit like you put your kid in timeout. They're like, listen, we're trying to let you do this by yourselves. But they came in, intervened, and again, it's another military district. And they say to them, 
you are not going to be readmitted to the Union until the 15th Amendment is passed. The new commanding officer of this military district was General Alfred Terry, and he began what is historically called Terry's Purge, removing ex-Confederate lawmakers from the General Assembly and replacing them with Republicans, also reinstating all of the Black legislators. With a combination of these two things, the majority was now Republican, and so they easily ratified the 15th Amendment, which prohibits discrimination in voting rights on the basis of race, color, or previous conditions of servitude. Atlanta's African Americans are elated with the passing of this. There was a huge celebration held in July of 1870. There was a parade through the city and then a mass meeting over near the rolling mill, which is um, pretty much where the Fulton Bag and Cotton Mill is. Also during this time, Dennis Hammond is elected mayor of Atlanta. He was a white radical Republican. And then the first two African American city council members are elected. They were William Finch and George Gresham. Sadly, the story doesn't really end here. Uh, Reconstruction would end shortly thereafter. In the next few years, Democrats regained the majority, and then they started to use terror, intimidation, and even the KKK to ensure that Black Georgians did not vote. By the 1890s, one quarter of the elected Black legislators had either been killed, threatened, beaten, or jailed. The last surviving member, W.H. Rogers, resigned in 1907. There would be no African-American representation in the entire state of Georgia until 1962. That's 1962. In 1976, the Black Caucus of the General Assembly commissioned a sculpture by artist John Riddle that would honor these 33 Black men that were removed from their posts. Today, we have this piece of art to help us keep the story alive. Expelled because of their color is on the back side of the Capitol building, and it was actually just moved over a tiny little bit to make room for the new Dr. King statue. Riddle's piece was the first work outside the Capitol honoring any lawmaker who was black. If you've never seen it, it's a lot smaller than you would imagine, but it is so packed with meaning and symbolism. And until I read what these things mean, it didn't really hit me about how amazing it was. The first tier of the sculpture depicts a sailing ship of slaves arriving in Georgia. The second tier shows black soldiers who served in the American Revolution. Um, The next level kind of has these columns. They're supposed to represent antebellum columns of Southern plantation life. So it's not only here to symbolize the 33 African-American Georgia legislators, but it represents the story of slavery in Georgia. A pregnant woman at the top symbolizes future generations, and then there are figures um, around the top surrounding a ballot box, crowned by the upraised hands holding a tiara shaped in the form of the state of Georgia. The sculpture is meant to honor the struggle of Black Georgians who fought for political representation from, quote, the slave ship to the state house, end quote. On the bottom of this sculpture are plaques listing all 33 names. Um, it's, it's really moving. So if you have not seen it, please go do that. Highly recommend it. And there you have it. The story of Reconstruction in Georgia, what happened in Atlanta, and the lesser known history of these 33 expelled legislators. If you do go to the Capitol to see the sculpture, um, make sure you hashtag Archive Atlanta so I can see them. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope everyone has a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>